Chapter Sixteen of The Broken Rosary by Grace and Harold Johnson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Sixteen. The sun was losing its fight with the clouds Tuesday morning when Dan stepped out of the Park Hotel in Harlem, Missouri. Rain was in the air. Dan wondered if he should walk the three blocks to the county jail or take a taxi. He glanced once more at the sky, then at his watch. It was only eight thirty so he decided to walk. It wouldn't do to meet the sheriff before he'd had his breakfast. The jail was a red brick building, greatly in need of repair. Its cornerstone read, September 1895. Inside the building there was a heavy smell of stale tobacco and disinfectant. The sheriff, in his late forties, sat by a window in the far corner of an office, enclosed by a grillwork of iron bars. The room was untidy, its walls papered with man-wanted posters. Leaning back in his chair with his hands clasped behind his neck, and his feet cocked on the window sill, the sheriff sat relaxed, watching the passers-by. His hat, pushed forward on his brow, kept off the glare from a bare light bulb dangling from the ceiling. When the sound of his footsteps did not cause the sheriff to look up, Dan coughed to attract his attention. He then introduced himself, and the sheriff, glancing sideways at Dan from under dark bushy eyebrows, said laconically that his name was Arnie King. The only concession he made to Dan's presence was to push his hat back from his forehead, drop his feet to the floor, and make a half-turn in his chair. He was an exceptionally large man. From the size of his forearms, revealed below rolled-up sleeves, Dan estimated that he would weigh over two hundred and fifty pounds. After Dan had briefly told him his errand, the sheriff gave him a one-sided smile. So your paper sent you down here to snoop, eh? Dan laughed lightly. I get all kinds of incredible chores to do, and this is one of them. We feel the answer to the murder of Mr. Duffield and our prosecuting attorney, Mr. Brighton, lies down here. The dull light in the sheriff's eye neither warmed nor cooled at Dan's words. I talked to that detective up in your town. What's his name? Wilkes? Yeah, that's it, Wilkes. I talked to him over the phone three or four times. He wanted to know if there was anyone down here who would want to kill old Duffield. I told him— no that's pretty definite ain't it what more you want up in merton we feel that who's the we the editors and reporters on the merton dispatch sheriff king blinked what's the matter don't you trust your police force of course we trust them dan said quickly but we differ in opinion with detective wilkes he then related how sam brighton also thought the solution to the two murders might be found in the past now Sam had been shot, most likely to silence him. While Dan talked, King put a cut of tobacco in his mouth and chewed on it silently, his eyes registering little interest. When Dan finished, the sheriff said, You're barking up the wrong tree. Old man Duffield didn't have an enemy in this town. That is, no one that hated him enough to follow him clear up to Ohio to kill him. Dan leaned heavily against the iron bars. He felt at a disadvantage in talking to the sheriff. We have a feeling. Who's the we again? King interrupted. The people on our paper and Sam Brighton. King nodded, but remained silent. We feel, Dan continued, that something happened when Mr. Duffy was sheriff and has come to a head now. Did you check your files, by any chance, for a crime that might have gone unsolved at the time? King's smile froze on his face, but he was a good enough actor to keep his voice unchanged. However, Dan thought he detected a note of anger when he said, 
Why, that's a long time ago. That's over twenty-five years. Our records ain't too complete that far back. It would be no use trying to look through them. Dan was more baffled than angry. He couldn't understand how a man could take his responsibility so lightly. Do I understand, Sheriff, that what you told Chief Wilkes was not the result of any investigation into your records, but merely your own opinion? Sheriff King stood up and walked toward Dan. He took off his hat and spun it around on a large, fleshy finger. He smiled, but his anger was evident. Dan recognized the man as the bully type. Look, son, King said, when I said there wasn't anyone around here who was out to get Duffield, I meant exactly that. If Duffield had enemies from way back when he was sheriff, I don't know anything about them, and there ain't no way of finding out. But one thing sure, they ain't around here now, because if they are, I'd know about him. I've got everything in this county under my thumb, and I know what's going on all the time. The sheriff looked pleased with himself as he added, That's a lot more than you folks up there in your big city can say, and I don't need no filing case to do it. He reached up and tapped his head with his forefinger. I file it all up here. So when I told Detective, what's his name? Wilkes. Yeah, Wilkes. Funny name. He paused. When I told him there wasn't anything down here connecting Duffield with his murder up there, I knew what I was talking about. It wasn't no opinion of mine. It was a fact. Dan nodded as if in agreement. I'm not doubting your ability or your memory, Mr. King. But the way we feel... These murders are based on something which happened so far back that in all probability you never had your attention called to it. I wonder if I could have a look into your files for that period. The sheriff shook his head quickly. Nobody, well, nobody but the FBI boys, monkey around in those files. Dan could see that he was just wasting his time with Sheriff King, and as far as the files were concerned, he felt they wouldn't be of much value. He looked out the window at a steady rain. Could I use your phone to call a taxi? King looked blank for a moment, before he said, It's in here. I'll come one for you. After he had dialed a number, he asked, Where you want to go? To the newspaper office. The news? You won't dig up anything there. Dan shrugged his shoulders. Just want to pay a social call. The sheriff spoke softly into the mouthpiece of the phone, then turned to Dan. Taxi will be here in a couple minutes. The rain pelted Dan as he dashed to the taxi, which arrived within the sheriff's allotted time. Harlow News Office, Dan said. The driver nodded, tucked a toothpick a little farther back in the corner of his mouth, and swung his cab expertly away from the curb. Your sheriff certainly is a big fellow, Dan said. Again the driver nodded, but this time he removed the toothpick from his mouth. This was a subject he'd like to talk about. Yeah, Arnie's big, and a great guy, too. Ain't afraid of nothing. A couple of weeks ago, he caught two burglars, red-handed in Lane's Cash and Carry store over in Glasgow. That's a little crossroad burg about ten miles from here. Someone called Arnie about midnight and told him they'd seen these two guys go in the store. Arnie went right in after him, went in alone, too. Caught him both. Beat him up bad from what I heard. He's nobody to fool with when he's mad. Strong as a bull. Ain't afraid of nothing. He looks strong, Dan offered. He'll get elected sheriff as long as he wants the job. He's a good man for it. Everybody. Dan stopped listening. The man was evidently one of the sheriff's chief boosters. 
End of chapter 16